All right. We're going to begin reading today at uh, verse 6. We're in First John, chapter 5. And the, the title of today's lesson is Testimony of the Spirit, Part 2. And I follow Roy's uh, excellent presentation. And hand up, thank you, Roy, from last week. So verse 5, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it's this spirit who bears witness because the spirit is true. By the way, verse 7 is controversial as to whether it's in most Bible. Mm-hmm. So you have to take that with a grain of salt in terms of reading verse 7. But I listened to Macaulay at great length, and he said of all the versions that the translations have been given, it's only in a few. And the New King James still has it. So, verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. The controversy has come around the fact that there was a big argument whether the Holy, the, the triune God is stated clearly in the Bible. And I guess the people who agreed with us felt that the, this was a necessary verse to put in here. But the original text does not have this verse. But is the Bible any less valuable without it? No. I think... There's plenty of evidence of the triune God in the end of the original text. I, I, What's the date? I'm just asking. What, do you think I'm smart or something? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking the question. So, All right. You know. so, but anyway, verse 3 kind of brings it together in part. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Okay, you can come back to that if you want. But Roy covered that well last week. Okay, our verses for today are 9 through 12. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. And he does not believe, and he who does not believe God has made him a, it makes him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And he who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son of God does not have life. That's pretty strong scripture, right? And we'll return to that. But this is, this is a fun topic today, and it's, it's one we can learn a lot from. So let's look at what Roy covered last week, and I'm going to summarize that kind of in, in a couple of bullet points, and we're going to look at a little scripture. Jesus Christ came earthly born and was baptized, water, and by blood, for he died and then shed his precious blood that we might live. So he came with water in terms of his earthly birth and baptism, and ultimately he came in his blood in terms of the sacrifice that he placed again. So somebody turn to Matthew three thirteen through 18. And whoever gets it first, begin reading, please. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Okay, so the water baptism. What what does the water baptism signify in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
signified the beginning of his ministry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the beginning of the of what everything else written in the scripture in the gospel account stands for. Mm-hmm. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't know much about his life before that, but the ministry clearly started at his baptism. Okay, somebody read John nineteen thirty. That's a verse we all know pretty well, but somebody pull that in us. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Hey, remember the sacrifice of bulls and goats can never take away sin. It's his blood that the boy said. So it was finished. It was a done deal. So there's the emphasis on the water and the blood that Roy covered tonight. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right, good. Well, to summarize what I just said, to, to summarize the summary, in, in the verses covered last week dealt with the fact that Christ was earthly born, baptized by water, and died by blood, and shed blood was really for all of us. Now, the, the latter part of that comment was what the concern was. All right. And the second summary points, the spirit, the water, and the blood, together all bear witness uh, to the truth that we're about. All right, let's continue then. Verse 9, if we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God that he testified of his son. If we receive present indicative, that means now, then, or today, right now. That means it's factual. We look at this witness of men as factual. So, question for the class. Is if here a first class conditional, which means it's presumed to be true, or is this a third class uh uh, conditional clause, which is probable or hypothetical. What do you think? What do you think when we listen to people in today's world when we're talking with them? Do we believe them, typically? Don't wax political here. <laughs> it's hard not to. It's hard not to. <laughs> no, in general, let's say somebody, you know, on the radio is saying it's 39 degrees this morning and it's, you know, are you going to call the weather bureau and find out whether that's an accurate temperature? I mean, in general, you know, we believe what people tell us, right? So that's the witness of men that's, you know, related to it. And the answer to that, it's first-class conditional. You accept it to be true. I mean, even though it may not be, and we kind of, when we talk to one another, we have information, you watch TV, you look at the news, and you say, well, that slant on the news, but there, somebody was murdered. <laughs> and so there's a lot of truth to this. So you tend to believe the witness of men, don't we? Especially when they say witness, that means they must have seen something. Right. All right. So that, that we're going to get to that in a little bit more detail. What's, what a true witness is all about. Remember in a courtroom hearsay, evidence is worthless, right? So that if should be maybe it should be since since we received and believe the witness of men basically is what it's tending to see. So what what is the witness of men and what is our experience? I think we just discussed that. You typically believe what people tell you, and you know again I'm not saying every conversation. Clearly the political agenda we can question, but in terms of kinds of information that we say is factual, we tend to believe. So all right now. I'm going to bounce that one in. No matter what is what it is, whatever this witness is, the witness of God is greater. And why? <laughs> why is the the witness of God greater? Because God can't lie. All right, but what's the evidence for that? If you had to say one thing about the witness of God in context, look at what we're looking at. What's the verse say? He was a witness. He was there. All right, we're going to return to that, Mike. But hold on to that thought here a second. Because. 
Because the witness of God is greater. You're not answering the question. He said, uh, this is my beloved son. Thank you. That's what the scripture says, that he testified of his son. Okay, we're going to boil that down a little bit more detail. That he testified in his son, of his son, is the fact that the witness is greater than men. To testify is perfect tense here. It means something that took place in the past, but that testimony continues and results in one that continues infinitely, including today. Bob, you know what strikes me is that that God has put all his eggs in, in... in the in the you know is Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Everything about God is in that, and that's what this is telling us. That's the key issue about God. Well, great, Roger. And in fact, I think to to answer this question, as Patty has so correctly, based on the verse, if there's no resurrection, our faith is dead. I mean, it's absolutely worthless. The whole Bible is worthless if Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead. And that's where you get into a conversation sometimes a bit of a discussion, sometimes a little more animated than others. You know, people believe Jesus was a great teacher, a great prophet, and all these other kinds of things, but they don't believe, they may even believe in the crucifixion, but the resurrection, mm-hmm. and you think of some face, quote-unquote, you know, he's still on the cross in many ways, because the resurrection is something they don't buy completely in terms of the eternal security we all have, right? All right, good. So, so Bengal has an interesting comment. It says, the testimony of the Father as it were, the basis of the testimony of the Word and of the Holy Spirit, just as the testimony of the Spirit is, as it were, the basis of the testimony of the water and the blood. So, in other words, it's a lot of redundant clauses there. But anyway, it makes me turn to Scripture to really clarify this. And so Matthew three sixteen and 18, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning uh, and a lightning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from him saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this was read by Jim just a few minutes ago. So his ministry really started here in terms of the water baptism. And we take it from there as part of the testimony that's recorded by John in his first epistle. All right, verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself, and he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. He who believes present active, that means us right now, in the son of God has the witness in himself. So the same witness that God gave us in his son is the same witness we have within each of us. And that is greater than the witness of man. Isn't that an incredible statement? I mean, wow. It's it's, It's a humbling statement. <laughs> so he, he's put, you know, man that uh, you know often fails, but he put, he's put that witness within in believing man, which is okay. Incredible. So <clears throat> define what believing in the Son of God indicates. Number one, it's, it seems simple, but it's a little more complex at times. And what is our witness? That's a question. I should have put a question mark there, shouldn't I? Well, Thayer has something to say about that. He says, one who avers. Can anybody tell me what to aver means? You looked that up. Uh, I, I did. Because <laughs> I, I had no idea what to aver something is. It's, it's the statement or the manifest, typically in spoken word. So, 
one who abers or can aver or state a, a statement of truth, what he himself has seen or heard or knows by other means. So in other words, it's, so our witness is what? <laughs> According to that definition that Thayer has given us, whether it be correct or not. Witness of men, right? <laughs> well, it's whether you believe what the scripture says. All right. Is that spoken or occur in other ways too? How about the Holy Spirit? Thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. So you've answered that. I have two verses to share. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But here's what Roy alluded to, Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And when we are children of God, that Spirit works in us to not, you know, polish the rust we have in the old man, but ultimately create a whole new life within us. I like the illustration, polish the rust. You know, if you read today's Hungry Heart, to, you know, the, think about it's, the emphasis on was not on things we give up when we're saved, but going to what the truth is and things we gain by our Christ's life that we have within. And the, the, the analogy he gives, I think who was this, I'm not sure which commentator it was in Hungry Heart, but he said the nun separates herself from all things of the world. But yet, is she enjoying all the things she has in Christ? Yeah, I mean, the idea of renouncing things and what you give up is not where our emphasis should be. Yeah. It's what gain we have in our position and how that impacts our condition. So this witness, by the way, may be spoken, or as Hal so often says, you may be the only Bible people ever read looking at your life. Well, yeah, Wayne. I'm just thinking the new creation of which we are wouldn't have any old things. It would all be new. We wouldn't have anything that it has nothing to give up, does it? That's really true. Are you thinking eternally? Are you thinking even right now? Yeah, right now. Yeah. By faith, we live that out, though. All right. And this is personal, isn't it, for each and every one of us? It takes place in some other different way, time scale. John one twelve. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, right? So we all find ourselves very much benefited. Yes, Jim, go ahead. Uh, another word you could put in place of right is uh, uh, he gave the uh, privilege or the prerogative to become children of God. And so it's a... Uh, oh, uh, I'll write the, well, maybe there's a translation, but yeah. yeah well, if you go to the Greek, you know, mm-hmm. the Greek dictionary explained you can be uh, privilege right, sure, or prerogative. You know, it's just... Uh, Okay. You put those words in there, and it really, really, un- it, is a privilege, it is a privilege, isn't it? It is. All right, let's continue. I think this was really instructive to me. I, I did. I typically do my lessons all Saturday morning, and then I kind of ponder. And last night, for some reason, I thought I don't have a printed Macaulay version. We don't have a printed Macaulay version. No, we do. Not. But I listened to his, right, his tape, no and, and uh, he came up with something I thought was really, really worthwhile. So for an hour or less, I'm modifying my whole hand based on what he said. So what Macaulay said is that there are seven lines of evidence to build on in terms of this witness we have about the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth, and his resurrection. So let's go through this very quickly. John 5, 39, I'm going to skip forward to 46 just because of space. <laughs> you search, so his first position was the Old Testament, which was I found kind of interesting. You search the scriptures 
This is what Christ is saying now. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. For if you believe Moses, this is verse 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. In, in that, I mean, there's a whole section between those verses. I just didn't want to put them all there. But they lead into the fact when he returns to Moses, who the Jewish you know, community really relied on, in terms of their Jewish faith is in Israel, ultimately interesting. So Old Testament, the first line of evidence. The second is John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Hmm. Second line of evidence, John the Baptist. His statement indicates that Christ was the light to which we all would come to believe in the truth of who the Son of God is. The disciples and apostles, there's so many examples, but I'm just going to give the words of our Savior where he said, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So, you know, as John kind of stated in the first epistle here, we saw him. (laughs) We were instructed by him. And remember, Paul and his, you know, road to Damascus and three years in the wilderness with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who experienced him not only by hearing about him, but his personage and seeing his life and seeing his impact. Fourth line of evidence, the words. Or his words. words. All right, there we have John 8, 14. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. So his own words bore witnesses to who he was. God the Father, and there's many examples of this too, but I'm just stating one. I am one who bears witness of myself, that returns to his own words, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. (laughs) Okay, so the Lord speaks about himself, who he is, he testifies to the fact that he's his own witness, but now we have God as being the one who sent him to bear witness. His works, Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. <laughs> okay, so his works. And the final one, well, you like this, the Holy Spirit, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So isn't that neat the way Macaulay has kind of outlined these seven lines of evidence? And you're a little bit behind and you're both lungs. Sorry. I'm reading my hand out now looking at the front of the screen. I can't tell whether I need my glasses or not. I have, and if you don't want to play the piano, I have another pair of glasses. It's been per- perfectly distanced. Anyway, uh, let's move on, Bob. Uh, all right, so I, I really found this really instructive. I mean, I think we all kind of seek truth, and truth is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. But to, to find evidence from a human perspective to cite our truth in terms of a series of things like Old Testament all the way to the Holy Spirit is really documenting that truth. And again, all these verses could be exemplified substantially to make the point. But does that show us why the magnitude of God's witness is just overwhelming? Mm-hmm. But man still still refuses to yeah. to, to say to bow the knee and say yes. <clears throat> It's amazing. So, I mean, you think about what, what was a true witness to the Jewish community. Do you remember what what, what that was? Well, first of all, they had to have two. You had to have two witnesses, number one. 
And what was a wit- how was a person accounted to be a true witness? They had to have actually been there, right? Yeah, you have to see. Right. This is yeah. not hearsay evidence. Right. Somebody yeah. told me that somebody did something, doesn't right. make it, right? So yeah. the two witnesses were necessary. And so we're thinking here of multiple witnesses as documented by Macaulay. All right, let's go ahead and look at this. Because he who has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son, okay, ultimately, Romans 3, 3, 4, but what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. And this continues to uh, be magnified by the Old Testament. This is Psalm 5.14. That you may be justified in your word and may overcome when you are judged. So that relates to the lack of belief. And scripture goes on to say, he who does not believe God has made him a liar. Hmm, that's pretty strong stuff. The contrast, I think, here, as we reflect on someone who does not believe, it's the power of the flesh, the power of the world system, and Satan himself. All those three, you know, contrary pathways that we often relate to one way or the other, hopefully now indirectly all of these really is the one who calls him a liar. Barker, the the writer then, cannot allow that one can profess belief in God, as did his opponents, and yet reject God's testimony to his own son. I bold this. Such rejection cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance. The evidence is too clear and too weighty. Rather, his deliberate unbelief, the character of which in the end impugns the very being and character of God, if Jesus is not God's own son in the flesh, then God is no longer the truth. He is a liar. Yeah. It's, it's all wrapped up in in Christ. Yeah, pretty strong. <laughs> you know, yeah, Jeff. people would not normally call God a liar. Oh no! But, no. but <laughs> saying saying that God's God is not, you know, that this isn't truth is calling right. God a liar. Well, what does John say in his epistle? What are we also calling these individuals? a strong, strong term. They're antichrists. Right. It, it, I mean, we're thinking of the antichrist right. in terms of the end times. Many antichrists. But we're talking of the tribulation period, but everyone who's a non-believer is an antichrist. Which wouldn't be a liar at that moment. It'd be an opponent of God. That, that's true. But it comes across very subtly, Mike. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that in the last part of our lesson today in terms of the world system and the way they approach this. Which Satan runs the world system. Yeah. Boy, and we get caught up in that ourselves sometimes. We have to pause and realize what our citizenship really is. Jim? You know, in uh, uh, in Hodges, uh, he says the New King James Version should have verse 10 in parentheses. And I checked through about six versions that I have on my phone, and the Holy Christian Standard Bible puts verse 10 in parentheses. Because you can continue this, the, the idea from verse 9, Right on into 11, and it just goes trans, transitions perfectly. Well, that same argument's made with verse 7, but that's thought to have been added. I, I don't know whether what's true or not. Verse 7 speaks the truth of the triune God, right? We don't deny that, but anyway, I, I didn't see that on verse 10, though. Yeah, verse, from verse 9 to verse 11, and there's, there's a complete thought right there. You know? So verse 10 is a parenthesis, but it's a very important parenthesis. Sure. Okay, good. Thanks. 
So verse 11, this is the testament that God has given us eternal life and the life is in his son. This doesn't seem like new information at this point, John, does it? <laughs> so what then is our basis of having eternal life? First, it's been given, and that's aorist, active, indicative. It's a fact that ultimately remains as true today as it was once given. And that life is conditional. It's all in his son. So Romans 6.3, therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And again, that newness of life is all about him. It's that life he creates in us. Philippians 1.21, one of my favorites, for, for me to live is Christ. What's the other part of that verse? Either way you win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then we have First John 4.9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten into the world that we might live through him. We're talking about a life here. We're not talking about trying to do better. We're talking about a whole new life. All right, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Okay? So, he who has the Son has life. Smalley says that the eternal life is qualitative, not quantitative. What do you, what do you make of that? What do you think of quality versus quantity? His character. Okay, like I like that, Mike. What 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 about quantitative? We're talking about being filled with the Spirit, right? And being filled with the Spirit may be quantitative, but we're not there to measure that. He is. But ultimately, the qualitative nature is our positional truth. <laughs> we're born again. He hath made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I mean we, we are perfectly righteous. So the qualitative nature is we have an entirely new life. And that's in him. Now, quantitative, you know, Mother and I were talking the other day. We went to a, a, a service of someone that she knew for, uh, through her golf and at the club. And so uh, it was uh, a mainline church, which was okay. I mean, you know, there's no question that people are saved in that church. I mean, it was clear that the, from the message that he shared. But the the whole issue is... The qualitative nature when we reach heavenly places, we're all the same in Christ. <laughs> I mean, we're all positionally in Christ. And and whether to measure people's performance in a quantitative sense is not our responsibility. So it's the highest kind of spiritual and moral life, irrespective of time, which God enables the believer to share in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Bob. Yes, Roy. Yeah, just a verse that might clarify what kind of quality are we talking about? Uh, I think John himself writes in his first chapter of the gospel Mm -hmm. where he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Right. What a quality. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. So what does this life look like? Well, it looks like Christ. (laughs) Yeah, but is it walking in his shoes? No. No, it's, it's not. I mean, I think that's really the, the fault of many people thinking that we're going to try to, you know, basically duplicate the gospel yeah. walk of the Lord Jesus well, Christ. I think many people, because they haven't been instructed, they don't see the the magnitude of what they have. It's just, it's incredible that God, what he has done. 
and what he's placed in each believer, but they don't, many believers don't see that. They're, they're well, wrapped right. up in the old man and they never get above that, it seems like. And where do you think the, the flaw is in that kind of existence? I mean, they're all saved. I mean, right. Margaret, remind me, we're going to see everybody yeah, in no. the kingdom of heaven someday. Well, I, you know, Wayne, I think, agree with this. It all begins with position, doesn't it? It really, to understand that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Well, it's, it's more like him walking in our shoes. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> hey, that's good. I like that. Right. Yep. Well, they, they, you know, the picture they show us walking next to Christ, that's the wrong picture. I'm yeah, behind that's it, right? That's the wrong picture. Because <laughs> we can never duplicate. The power of the flesh is not capable of the Christ life. The Christ life in us is one that's spirit-led that exemplifies the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. He who does not have the Son of God doesn't have life. Hmm. Well, let's look at a couple of verses here. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now, is that wrath? <laughs> we had a long discussion about it. Is the wrath of God really being displayed today with more Natural disasters, more hurricanes, more earthquakes. No, I don't think so. We're talking about the wrath of God at the great judgment seat, are we not? Right. And there we have some understanding scripturally that the non-believer will be judged in some way uh, differently than we who are, are secure and made righteous for eternally. First John 2, 22 and 23. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is an antichrist, here we are, <laughs> who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Hmm. That's, those are the words of John. Those aren't, this is not a, the message of men or the witness of men. <laughs> this is a witness of scripture. And it makes me kind of come to some thoughts about um, notice that here and not before of God is stated and, and why. Why is the Son of God stated here? He who has the Son has life does not state this of God, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have because life. Because he's one and the same? I don't know. Just, okay. Right. Other thoughts? What? If we have Son, if they have the Son, we have life, which is life eternal, life now, to live that life. He does not have the Son of God, does not have life. Why, why is of God isn't be? He, isn't he trying to just re-emphasize that Christ is the Son? I mean, and without, if you don't believe that Christ is the Son of God, then, you know, you just believe he's a good preacher or a good teacher. You may believe Jesus existed, but if you don't believe he's the Son of God, well, and that continues in the verse to be covered next week, verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So it's re-emphasized there. I don't know why it's there. They're not there in the previous Previously, he used his son back in verse uh, 9. Okay. He, he has borne the witness concerning his son. So you have his son versus the Son mm-hmm. of God. So yeah. it seems like it's... One of these things we could yeah. talk about and not necessarily have the best answer. But it made me think a little bit further about this. But do the unsaved know they don't have life? No. No, in fact, I'll argue with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll argue with you. So what, what kinds of things do, do you think that the, the, the unsaved really consider as part of 
how they know God. Let's say know him, not experientially, but know that he's there. Well, I've listed a few things, and I have them here. I'm a good person. I do good things, a lot of good deeds. I'm religious, and there's a tie often to denominations or traditions that make them religious to a lot of, you know, legacy and those things played out in, in certain denominations. God, I'm, I'm pretty well to do, and God's blessing me. Boy, we have a wonderful God, don't we? And finally, spiritual experiences. Uh, I mean, experiences, it could be spiritual and that it, they're also experiences of the saved. But often spiritual experiences are not biblically sound, some of them, and ultimately don't save anybody uh, from ultimate, the ultimate judgment to occur. So. Any other thoughts about how the unsaved? They're not walking in the, they're not walking in God's life, which is the light of men. They're walking in the darkness, which hides that light. Okay, uh, but how do they perceive that, Roy? Do you think? Only by the Holy Spirit revealing it through his radiance through other believers. Uh, the Holy Spirit through the word and through believers and through things he's created. Those three things mm-hmm. are the testimony of God. And, and looking at this of God statement, he is the unique son of God, one of a kind. I think that might be John's emphasis here. Yeah. And I'm going to throw out a wild and crazy one here to end the class. Now, you know, with this new telescope, this Jeff, is that what it's called? I think that's the name of it. I don't know. Any, anyway, this thing is, you know, uncovering whole new solar systems that we've never seen before. Right. Presumably planets that yeah. have the right distance from the sun. And people are thinking about life on other planets. What do you think of that one? One of the things yeah, that that's <laughs> yeah. well, I, I know this is not new, but I think with this new telescope, we're getting increasing yeah, evidence. Yeah, that, but yeah. One of the that. things that they're doing is they're reinforcing yeah. Einstein's thought that time is not consistent. We have based our measurement of time on the speed of light, but the telescopes are revealing that the speed of light is relative, not not right. fixed. Okay, well, we get into the science of all this, but let's think biblically and scripturally. Well, aren't they seeing a little more of infinity? You know, we, this first telescope sees this much of, they look out into space, which is infinite, but we have an infinite God. So the first telescope goes this far, the next telescope, Jeff or whatever, goes that far. They don't, you know, man's telescope cannot see, it's like building a tower to Babel. In the beginning, God, God created the heavens and the yeah. earth. Was there another Garden of Eden, do you think, it's in some other planet? Only if you're a uh, Mormon. <laughs> it, it's, would Christ need to be crucified again? Well, some verse talks about that. Anyway, I think this is scientific myth, but all that aside, they, the, the world system can think whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, scientifically, in fact, could a planet exist with a, an accurate atmosphere sufficiently? Yes, yes. I sure. Yeah, Jim. I don't think it matters because we can't communicate with them. They're too far away. Well, well there's a, truth there too. You're, 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 you're scientifically. I'm trying to make you think spiritually. I, uh, it's just funny how these brilliant people they can create this device, but it just undermines how great God is. Right. And yeah. They fail to see that. 
I totally agree with that. Totally agree. And not only that, they always leave God out. Scientists never says this is a God. That's right. I discovered this. No, God already made it. And the absence of God is observed. Their science is based on what can be observed and tested. And that it's human wisdom. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which is way of the the witness of men, is it not? Exactly. All right, Wayne, final comment. Go ahead. But, but Romans chapter 1 yeah. says that it's placed in the heart of man to know that there is a God. Right. He denies that. Mm-hmm. He's without excuse. Yeah, he, he willingly denies that. Oh, you know, it's right there before him. Right. <laughs> All right, good good interchange. Right. Mike Paula, would you close this in prayer, please? Sure. Thank you, Lord, for this fellowship you let us have and your love and just let everybody have a good week this week and um, joy in Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.